That's right. That's right. That's right. John? Yes. Yep. He's got Mike Garcia. Mm -hmm. We will. Yes, absolutely. We'll pray for this. Lily. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay. That's good. Yes. Okay, Lord, we pray that the we need to pray for an opening here. Yes, and we're glad to have Look. The Bruckus is back with us. They couldn't find a church as good as ours. Amazing. They moved away and then they they've looked and they can't find. I know. That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's good. Excellent. We love that. We love that. Anybody else? Yes. Uh -huh. hmm. Let's pray for this friend with cancer. Let's take these to the Lord. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have answered so many prayers already, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that you, when we pray, God, you hear, Lord God. And our prayer, Lord God, is an opportunity, Lord God, for you to respond. We pray, Lord God, that you would meet every need, that you would provide housing, Lord, that you would open doors. I pray, Father, that you would bring healing to bodies, Lord. We give you praise for supplying jobs, Lord. I ask, God, that you would help each and every one of us to hear your voice, to know your word, to understand your heart in this house, Lord God. Open our hearts to receive your word today, I pray. Give us ears to hear, Lord God. We invite you, Holy Spirit, into this place to come and to minister, Lord, to us today and teach us, Lord God, that we can walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Mm That's good. Mhm. Mm That's good. That's amazing. We're thankful. It's still a choice, isn't it? And that's good. He said to know your father's voice and respond. But today, and that, that leads me in, we're going to talk about today as we turn to Exodus um, 33. We're going to talk about intercession today. But it's not only knowing your father's voice and responding. I think there's, there's something even more palpable, more tangible, more significant and important than knowing the voice of God. 
we all want to know the voice of God. But I think that many people struggle to discern the voice of God, to know whether or not that is God's voice or not. But the thing that is behind the voice of God, the thing that will help us to accurately assess the voice of God in our life is when we know the heart of God. That is the quintessential piece to knowing the voice of God is knowing the heart of God. Now, the difference between knowing a voice and a heart is pretty, is, is pretty easy to understand. Um, like, for instance, Mike and I, we know each other's heart because we're married. We've been married for 33 years, and we've been together as a couple for 36 years. Now, I can say something to him, and you may hear my voice, but not discern my heart. I may say, um, turn me up, right? To look at him and go, Mike, would you turn me up? And you may go, oh, she's cold. She's bossy. She's whatever you want to put in because all you heard was my voice. Right? All you know is my voice. But when I say, turn me up, what does he hear? He, nothing other than what I said. He doesn't impregnate that with any other motive. So I don't have to be careful how I talk to him. Now, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I'm clear you're not. But how many of you want to be in a relationship, especially with your significant other, where you've got to analyze everything you say before you say it so as not to hurt their feelings? Raise your hand. I don't see any hands going up. I don't want to do that because in my estimation, heart connection is far better than word service. Now, I'm not saying that we don't that we we don't speak to reveal our heart, right? But how many of you know that it ta- it it would be annoying to have to perform for the room or perform for insecurity? And so I am not interested in doing either. And so when I speak, I speak heart to heart. Not, oh, well, let me see what they're going to think. And you know what I mean? We just don't have time for it. So, so in the same way, in that same vein, now I'm not saying to use your words and be ugly because if you're using your words to be ugly and your heart's not connected, well, that's going to show up too. So I'm not saying, I say when we talk and we say to know a person's voice, thank you. I was like, where's my Kleenex, Colleen? I think I'd remember. To know a person's voice is one thing. But to know their heart is another. And so I think that when we, when we talk about God, we talk about the voice of God, everyone will drive you to the word of God. And as they should, right? But if you are driven to the word of God and you don't know the heart of God, 
you'll find all kinds of things out about God. You'll insert it in the text. And it's just not there. So today, I want to endeavor to help us to learn to discern the heart of God. And then let's move into the arena of the voice of God. I just will go on a limb and say this, and the Lord can correct me. Sometimes I feel like he is silent with people more because, not because he doesn't want to speak, but because the persons are so out of tune with his heart, it wouldn't matter what he said, it wouldn't be received accurately. And so we, we look at the Word of God this morning with, uh, with the intent to know the Lord's heart. And now I want to talk to you the title of today, and I could have, if I was smart and if I'd have given it to Liz because she's smarter than me, she could have done this for me. You could have, I did this keynote presentation because I'm so awesome like that, but I can't do anything else with it. I could have put it on the TV, right? You could have done that for me, right? See, look at her. She's going, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't, so... Y'all can just, it would be great if y'all could all see this. <laughs> That's right. I could, you know, look at this. See, it would be great. I did it. You know, I'm getting, I'm, it's a first step in technology for me. The second will be to me to give it to Liz and say, would you do something with this? Oh, golly, but I don't know how to go through it. Hold on. Okay. I, can, I can't touch all those. Oh, Exodus 33. I'm working on technology. Yeah. Okay, intercession. We're going to talk about today the family business. Intercession is the family business. Now, when I say the family business, does anybody in, just automatically pick up on a scripture, just real quick? The family business. Okay, that's one. I'm I'm much more simple than that. That's your. There you go. I must. He's 12 years old in the temple, and they lose him in the big caravanning traveling party, and so they finally backtrack to find out where their 12 year old son is at, and they find him in the synagogue in the temp right the temple, and they say. And, and Mary, we, hear, we don't hear a lot from Mary throughout Scripture, but we hear her voice here. What are you doing? Didn't you know your father and I would be worried about you? And he said, what? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And Jesus was in the temple, and he was discussing, debating with the scribes and the Pharisees and astounding them with his knowledge of Scripture. And the Bible says that Mary, when she heard Jesus say this, it said that she considered these things and she hid them and pondered them in her heart. So she always had these, these episodes with Jesus now, that one's recorded, but don't you imagine that she had several episodes with him? I mean, now, of all the people on earth who knew for a fact 
that Jesus was born of immaculate conception, that she was a virgin. Who is the one person on earth who knows that without a doubt? Mary. <laughs> she know, now, well, exactly. And so we find that Mary knows this. Now, other people may doubt it. Now, we believe that Joseph wouldn't doubt it, obviously. The angel came to him and he said this. But, you know, how many times have you had a vision about something and then later on circumstance seemed to kind of pull you away from the experience of the vision and you start to doubt what you thought you knew or what you once knew for sure? But, you know, when, you, but when you're Mary in this incident, you don't question, was I, was I a virgin or not? It was case closed for her. So there was no ambiguity there. She wasn't struggling over whether or not he was from God. So she's always taking, I mean, now when she's watching this child grow up, she's like, and it says she's constantly taking stuff and just sticking it in her heart. Oh. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean just think about that. That's amazing. So we see that Jesus shows up and he says I must be about my father's business. I've got to be about something on this planet and he calls it his father's business. I like that, don't you? My father's business. And they found him in the temple, his father's house. Is 12. My father's business. But it wasn't time for his ministry to start, was it? Yes. It was what? It was Bob Nixon. Yes. Hmm. Wow. So it's kind of like step what we call the age of accountability. Mm. Wow. That is. <laughs> that things were happening through divine providence to who he was. And then it says that he went on to submit himself to his family and to grow in the favor with God and with man. So we see that carried out with those scriptures there. But when he says his father's business, it just makes you wonder, though, what was or what is in his mind, what would be his father's business? To fulfill the scripture, to 
soul, soul winning, his father's business. I think all of these things encompass it, but I think the one word that we can use that is his father's business is intercession. Now, I know this is not a word we use a lot. Well, we do use it a lot, but we use it in one context and one context only. Prayer. Like a time of prayer where you're praying for someone. And I don't say that that's not intercession. I just don't believe that it is a big enough platform for intercession to rest on. And it's reduced to just a, to just a 5, 15, an hour, minutes of prayer. It's just a, a type of prayer. I believe that intercession is the very platform of imaging that we are called to. That it says in Genesis 128 that we are created in the image of God. He made male and female in the likeness of God. He made them in his own image. And so to be an intercessor is, is that where God was made, not made, God made man. He made all of the Elohim. He made all of the gods, all of the angelic hosts, so to speak. Our language, we don't, we don't talk like that because we call God, God. We call, El, it's Elohim in, in Hebrew, Elohim. He's the capital Elohim. And then the scripture uses many times lowercase Elohim. All the angels... They're not, really God, they're not really God's, but that's the language that the Scripture uses. But God, to call, God calls himself what? Yahweh. Yes, the Most High God. That's obviously the Most High God. The Most High God. And so... What, when I say that word, though, there are, there are divine beings out there. Would you all all agree with that? There are divinely created beings, and God made imagers in heaven, right? Who are his imagers in heaven? Right. They're made in his image. They're made divinely in his image, and they, they, they don't have the same kind of components that we do. And then he made us humans, Adam, he made us imagers where? On this planet but we still image. And so we still carry out mission. We still have an accomplishment that we are here for, and that is to intercede. To intercede. What does it mean to intercede? To go between, to step in a gap. And so as we look at this, now I want to tell you, have y'all, y'all have all heard the term probably navel-gazing, right? But a picture is worth a thousand words. Navel-gazing. It's a man with his head bent over looking at his belly button. Navel-gazing. Navel-gazing is, is defined as extreme introspection. Yes, contemplating my navel. That is <laughs> so that's called navel-gazing. Well, yes, sir. Now, many people spend, I believe, we have a culture that is self-infatuated to the point that they navel-gaze chronically to walk through somewhere and see two people laughing and to assume they're laughing at you. You might be a navel-gazer. 
to, to, to go in and to leave a conversation. Let me help y'all right now, okay? To leave a conversation with someone and then to replay it in your mind and double back on everything you said and dissect it to wonder how they took that or what you should have changed. And you have to send out 10,000 text messages to undo what you thought you did, but you didn't do. You might be a navel gazer. I mean, you're so introspective. Stop! When people come to me and they're like, I know what you were thinking when I said what I said. This is what I'm doing. I'm going, you have no idea what I'm thinking. One person asked me that. They're like, that's what you're thinking, is it? I was like, no, I'm thinking, what an idiot you are. You didn't want to know that, did you? (laughs) No, what I normally do is this. Tell me what I'm thinking now. Or someone will say, I can tell by the look on your face. And I generally always tell them what I actually was thinking. As scary as it may be. Because it may be something really weird. Like, I was, I was thinking, how did you get your hair parted that way? I don't like navel gazing. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you enjoy it? <clears throat> now, don't raise your hand. How many of you probably, if you would admit it, you've, in, you've um, engaged in it way too often? Oh, we've got raised hands. Everybody's like, <laughs> it's no fun, is it? It's, it's tormenting because you have to constantly come up with narrative for both sides. What? Heard it said? Yes. And what's sad is you always wind up defaming someone, either yourself or the other person. You can't do it otherwise. And so I'm going to submit to you today that, that introspection is the enemy of intercession. So we've got to, here's what, here's what I do. If I say something stupid, and you know, I'm me, so I clearly always say something stupid. No one says as much stupid things, I'm sure, as I do. Or things that could be taken misconstrued. Because I can can run out a stream of dialogue that could have been taken 10,000 ways. I just have to go with y'all are going to take it the right way. Because if you know my heart, <clears throat> right. And so I, this is what I do to stop the cycle of introspection. When that narrative runs through my mind, and we all know what we're talking about, right? I go, Ugh. nope, I change the subject. I refuse to have that internal dialogue. I do something to reprogram, I don't run through it and try to undo it and spin there. I know preachers who preach and then spend a week tearing apart the sermon and trying to contemplate what other people thought as they were saying it. It's hard. It's fear of man. And so we, but see now we say that but how many people you live with this on a chronic daily basis? 
it is, it's a struggle. Introspection is the, it is the foe of intercession. But as Mike said, when you have the Father's heart, what do you also have? Anybody know? What? When you know the Father, when you have his heart, what do you have? What do you have, Mike? His resources. When you have the Father's heart, you have his resources. When you have the Father's heart, you have his resources. Many times we don't have, we don't have access to the treasures, the resources of God. Because we truly don't know his heart. We don't understand his will. And therefore, we can't discern his voice adequately. And therefore, we engage in all kinds of introspection because we don't really know where we're adequate, adequate and where we're not. Now, I'm not saying that you should just let whatever fly out of your mouth and not allow the Lord to govern and to chasten and to, and to correct your speech. There's much to be said in the Word of God about the words of a man's lip. Too much for me to say that you don't have to worry about what you say right? But there's a balance for both sides. Let the Word of God govern you and the Holy Spirit guide you. When you have the Father's heart, you have His resources. John 15 and 7 says it this way, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. It didn't say, now it should say, can I make a correction here, y'all? Shouldn't it say, according to our theology, that you should ask what he wills and it shall be done to you. That's what we pray all the time. Lord, I just if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's your will. It clearly says there, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. That is the most carte blanche scripture I think I've ever heard. Now, what that does to me is I have to step into the clause, don't I? The contingency. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. I got to check not the fruit. I just got to check the abiding because abiding brings fruit like, you know, Apple seeds bring apple trees, and apple trees bring apple seeds, and vice versa, and it just on and on and on it goes. I need, Lord, to know that I am abiding in you, and I have captured your heart. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door shall be opened unto them. Do you realize you will never, ever, ever, never, 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 don't need to keep going, never, never, never knock on a door that you don't believe has an answer. So when Jesus gives the parable of the man, you know the story, right? He gets up in the middle of the night. He tells a story, a parable, a teaching to teach a point. It's not a real story. It's a story to tell a story about what's true. When the man gets up in the middle of the night because he's got a friend who's come and visited him unexpectedly and he didn't have bread. Now, we can't just go to Walmart and buy bread here, can we? 
How many of you know, if you know how to make bread, you know bread takes a bit. Bread's not hard to make, but it's long to make. I mean, over COVID, I made my own starter. Dear God, I had that, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm growing my own yeast. I am feeding that sucker and stirring it and feeding it. I'm like, would you just ferment already? I finally did. I named it Fred. I gave some to Andrea. Huh? You, she had Fred. Fred makes bread. I had to feed Fred every day. I mean, it, didn't it takes a while to make bread, right? And then you got to rise. It's got to prove. If you don't do it right, the bread's not good, right? And so when this guy comes from a long journey, see, we sort of lose that in our Western convenience world. He needed bread. He had hospitality is of the most importance in Eastern culture. And he had to go get some bread to feed this man. So he gets up in the middle of the night. And he's like, what door should I knock on? I think I'll go to Charlie's house. He's so poor, he never has bread. I think I'll go to his house first. Did he do that? No, why? Why? Because Charlie's too poor and he never has bread. Charlie doesn't have bread. Charlie's always borrowing bread from me. So he goes to Ralph's house. I'm adding names. They're not in the Bible. He makes his way to Ralph's house. Why does he go to Ralph's house? He already knows the answer when he gets there. Ralph doesn't get up right away. Ralph says, hey, Bob, leave me alone. I'm asleep. I need some bread. Be quiet. I'll get you bread. No, I don't want bread tomorrow. I want bread now. And Jesus tells his story, and the man gets up, and he gives him bread. When he opens the door, what does the man find? He finds bread because the man had bread. Here's the point. Jesus concludes the whole parable with these. He's always so quizzical. I mean, Jesus, you're always just telling things and then saying things and never telling us things, but telling us all kinds of things. He closes the whole parable with when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You didn't say a thing about faith, Jesus. He said that. Faith will only knock on doors that it knows there's an answer. So when you go to God last, you go to your credit card first. You go to this first. You go to that first. You go, oh, I could just go. I could go on and on, but I won't because I'll start offending people. If you go to all kinds of places first and you just don't bother to knock on those doors and finally, finally, when you get the, to the last possible answer to the last, I mean, you, the doctors have turned you over. The credit cards have turned you over. Society's turned you over. Your mom and daddy won't even have anything to do with you. I mean, you burn every bridge and you've turned over every rock and then finally, finally, you make your way and knock on the door of God and he comes in and he rescues you. And we draw conclusions like, <sighs> you can't make God act any faster than he wants to act. He just comes right in the nick of time. No, he didn't. He came when you knocked. If you hadn't knocked last, it wouldn't have been a last resort. 
moron? How many times have I heard people tell me that? You can't make, God will move when he'll come right and he'll make you think it's going to be right in the last nick of time. Most of the time, that's when we get desperate enough to ask him in faith. Has it come? Yeah. We just, because we don't, you know what the problem is? We don't know his heart. Who is this God we serve? Oh, I frankly have no idea. He's quite mysterious. He'll jump around all over the place. That's the way he is. He's God. He's a sovereign guy who does what he wants to. Just try to keep up. That is how theology explains him. But how can we appropriately intercess, be an intercessor, intercede? That's the word. How can we appropriately intercede? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Move. But what, yeah, and that it is, and even when we get a circumstance, I think the greatest place that we find intercession in knowing the heart of God when we get a circumstance that is contrary to what we thought should be true. And then we, so many people move into the lane of blaming. God, why didn't you? Why didn't you? Well, let's, I told y'all to go, Yes. Then we start, and so instead of us being wrong, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, dear God, no, right? How could we possibly, how could we possibly be wrong? Who would ever think, Jesus is obviously the greatest intercessor of all. Isaiah 63 and 5 says, I looked and there was no one to help. This is God talking. I looked and there was no one to help. And I was astonished. That there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me. And my wrath upheld me. It's Isaiah 53 and 5. I look. This is the NLT version, I think. 63, sorry. This tiny little print here. And old lady eyes, I guess. I looked, but there was no one to help. Wait a second. This is God talking. What stands out to you there? I looked and there was no one to help. Why would he need help? Is that not a create a problem for us in Scripture? Something that needs to be solved? I looked and there was no one to help. What are you saying, God? This is not what I signed up for. And I was astonished. You're astonished? And there was no one to uphold. So my own, that there was no one to uphold. God said, I was astonished. There was no one I could uphold. There was no one to help. And there was no one I could uphold. So my own arm brought forth salvation to me. And my wrath upheld me. The word wrath there means my Passion, 
my passion. So, if I'm made in the image of God, and it's his very heart to intercede, how many of you believe it's the heart of God to intercede? How many of you rather believe it's the heart of God to stomp people out? Wait, let me ask it this way. How many of you have been taught somewhere in your religious upbringing that God is just as good with flicking you off as he is with picking you up? Either way. It could go either way. You know what I mean? It could be. I'm not saying that that has been your religious upbringing. I'm not. But I'm saying many people uphold those type of views in their mind that they say, you know, God will just, you just never know what he's going to do. You just don't know what he might do. He may or he may not rescue you. Therefore, here's another Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely. That's sozo. To save completely. Rescue. Deliver. To heal completely. Those who come to God through him being Christ. Because he, Christ, always lives to intercede for them. Always lives to intercede for them. What is Christ doing right now? If you are in Christ, what is your number one mission on earth? To intercede. But what does it mean to intercede? What does it mean to stand in the gap? Let's look. Let's look at Moses. Moses, this has been one of the most complex stories I think I've ever read. When I brought y'all, I mean, I went to verse to chapter 34 and I talked to you about the horning or the, the horning of Moses where we get to see this great image. I mean, he, he glowed, like he out these radiant horns, so to speak, and his face was glowing. And they covered his head because, first off, it, it freaked him out. I don't know. If I start glowing in here and I've got like light beams shooting like horns from my head, how many of y'all are going to be like, <sighs> I mean, y'all are going to have trouble. If I'm just carrying on a casual conversation with you, Dolores, you might be like, I'm a little, could you cover this up? I'm a little freaked out. I can't concentrate. That's what, so they covered it up, but then later on they continued to cover it to not to look intently upon that which was fading. So here we look at, we look at here in verse 33, chapter 33, Oh, Exodus 20, what do we get? The big deal. The big deal. What does Exodus 20 give us? When I say Exodus 20, you should say, I heard it, the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, the big deal given is the Ten Commandments. And so they, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and he goes up on Sinai, comes down, and he reads them to the people, and they all say, we will. We'll do what they say. Amen, 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 amen. They're like, we'll do it. Got you, God. Okay, we're on board. It was a marriage covenant. They go, Moses goes up, and what's the first thing that Israel does? They build a golden calf. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing as if your wife committed adultery on her wedding night. That'd be, it's how, that's what it, basically it was. And so Moses comes down, and he breaks the Ten Commandments, and the covenant is basically essentially broken. And then... God goes into, Moses goes back up, and we get this amazing story here. And this is where we pick up the story in verse, um, let's go, uh, let's go 14 or 12. Moses said to the, 33, 12, Moses said to the Lord, is that right? 
Moses said to the Lord, and say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let us. I want to find the one that says, nope, I've got to back up to 32, sorry. I should have marked this better. Oh, here it is, 32 and 7, I have to read this first. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and get down for your people. Now read that with me. Get down. Get down off this mountain. What does the Lord say? For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. What, what, um, what stands out to you there? They're all of a sudden, they're Moses' people? What? Wait, hold the phone. Yeah, it's like this kid of yours. <laughs> we're starting to kind of, we're all like, I am like God. I have seen this, this, this worked out before in my own life. Then Moses said, go down. See, this starts to create some confusion in our mind. But see, if we listen to his words only and we don't know his heart, what happens? We get all kinds of misconstrued notions, don't we? And so then they quickly turned aside from which I commanded them. And this is, you know, he said, so we go on and says, Now, therefore, let, now listen, look at 10, 32 and 10. Now, here's the Lord. Now, therefore, let me alone. Leave me alone, Moses, so my wrath may burn against them and I may destroy them. And I will make you into a great nation. What? And then, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people whom you have brought forth from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? What contains in this scripture here, if we, if we, I've been meditating on this so much. If we, looking at the heart of God, if we read this, if we only look at the words of God and we don't understand the heart of God, we miss the fact that in this contains an invitation for Moses to interrupt. God puts this out there in very black and white terms. This people of yours whom you have brought. Don't you hear the invitation in that? There, there is no, wait God, you're like, God, I didn't bring them out. Remember the, the burning bush? Do you remember the day I was, I'm, I was married, time to marry to Zipporah. And Jethro's my father-in-law and I have sheep and I don't understand. God, you sent me to the burning bush. Don't you remember the whole staff thing and Pharaoh and the, what, my people? Ah, uh-uh, God, no, these are your people. That's a man who knows a heart. I think the Lord is looking for people who know his heart enough to argue. Does that, is that too much? 
to take a circumstance and say, God, I know you. You are good. You deliver. Here we see the greatest intercessor par excellence except Jesus Christ as a man who knows the heart of God and is not afraid. God said, I'm looking for someone who knows me well enough to know that I will move on behalf of people. Doesn't anybody know me that well? Yes. Yes. Right. So we're getting everything into this beautiful alignment that brings the invitation for us to stand and image God and prophesy yet never lose hold of the fact of what makes us who we are in the core. I didn't get here on my own. And see, that is so important when everything in your life seems to be arguing to the contrary. To be able, God is looking for someone who knows Him enough to intercede. Who knows him enough to say, God, this is who you are. I know who you are. And Moses just keeps on going. There's this, interact, there's this um, interactive engagement here of free will. That God is just putting forth his hand to Moses. And Moses, he, he pushes aside what God says, so to speak. He hears him, but he doesn't act on the validity of those words alone, though they are valid, he acts on the validity of who God is. Now, let me ask you this question. What if Moses had not have interceded? That would have been bad, Andy said. <laughs> what do you think would have happened? I'm just asking. Do you think that, that Moses would have, God would have started back over with Moses? I, I guess. I mean, that's the only place we can go, right? Isn't that the only place we can go? So I'm, I'm like looking at this going, wow, there was a train wreck that was stopped here. But then I can't help but say, God, how many train wrecks was I supposed to stop that I never stopped? Do you all see what I'm saying here? When I see that this is available... And I see that my, the Father's business is intercession, and it pleases His heart to intercede, and I can't, I can't intercede unless I truly know His heart. Because when something seems to defy His heart, like, I don't know, something like His own words? I mean, how many of you have ever had your child tell you they had, and this is a terrible example for this, but we're just going to go there. How many of you have ever had your child maybe say, or you've heard of other people's children, you won't say, you've heard of other people's children... <laughs> Tell their parents that they hated them. Have you ever heard of some terrible children doing that? Yeah. Of a, of a child who has accused you of not loving them, though you've shared your you've given your whole life for them and them not seeing it, and to accuse you of doing something dastardly to them, right? How many of you have ever heard of somebody somewhere, their parents having that happen to their kids? 
But see, as a parent, when your child looks at you right in the eye, your dumb little 13-year-old child looks at you right in the eye and says, I hate you. You're ruining my life. How many of you go, well, good, I hate you too? <laughs> you don't because you still, you don't, do you listen to their words and go, I take that to heart and that's absolutely the truth of the matter. You take all their stuff away. <laughs> we do have methods of dealing with that, as God does too. Yeah, well, that's true. You'll get over it. But how many of you as a parent, you know how to judge a person not by entirely by their words? Yeah, and so, so my point, and I, I say that, I'm not saying that God says things he doesn't mean. That's not what I'm saying here. But I'm trying to give some sort of an earthly example of saying that there can be many times a different message portrayed through words than is the intent of the message. That, that when God is speaking here, he never, do you believe, I just never believe it was his will to, over, to destroy all of Israel here. But it was his will for Moses to intercede. And so what we get to see here is a picture of the greatest intercessor of all time, like I said, with the exception of Jesus. And he stood in the gap and he moved in. And what's amazing, and you can read this two chapters on your own, own time, but Moses, he's back and forth on the mountain and he's dealing with the issue and then God renews the covenant. God renews the covenant based on his own faithfulness, not on the faithfulness of the people. You'll find that. If you read Exodus 20 and 7, I believe, it says that make no other gods before him. He visits the iniquity on generations, punishing them to the third and fourth generation and is faithful to for uh, generations. And then he reverses. When he renews the covenant, he reverses it. And he said, God, he, the most famous scripture in all the word of God, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, he is merciful. He is compassionate. He keeps covenant to a thousand generations. And he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. But he will visit iniquity to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate him. Is it time to go? I don't have a watch. What time is it? Okay, good. That's fine. So when we see this, our heart should be this is just something the Lord is, is dealing with me about more and more, that if I don't understand intercession, if I don't understand my role to be a gate, when I say a gate, Psalm 24 and 7 says, how many of you know the scripture? It says, I think I looked it up this morning. It says, lift up your heads, oh, you ancient gates. Oh, here it is. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. What is, can you tell me when I say that, what is the gate? Just use biblical intertextuality to figure it out. What is the gate? Jesus is the ultimate gate. Okay, he says he's the door to the sheepfold. Let's keep unfolding it a little more. What is, what, whenever, whenever Jacob saw a ladder extending from heaven? It was a gate. He said, this is a gate of heaven. And he named the place Bethel, 
the house of God. So now we know that the gate of heaven is the house of God. Right. So when the scripture says, lift up your heads, heads could be authority. Lift up your heads, you ancient gates. Open up. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. You said it last Sunday. You got up and gave a, a word, a prophetic word of exhortation. He said, you're the gate. You're the gate. You're the gate. As he stood up and said that, you know, I'm like, okay. As, as one prophesies, that's how the gift of prophecy works. I just want to point that out. One prophesies. And another judges. So I listened to you, and I said, is that of God? I judged it. You think, you think we're supposed to judge one another? I did. I judged it. I want to know if what he said, if it had the seal of God on it. And so what did I do? I know enough scripture to know that when he said you're the gate, I could take it through the scripture and go, that's got the seal of God. That's God because what he said was scripture. Now, what would be the problems with all these things? Is if he prophesied in what? There was no one to? No one to understand. So see, it's how we work together as a body. And so the preacher's not the only one who gets to get up and say words. But if you're going to stand up and speak and you're not going to be willing to be judged, then don't prophesy. Do you all see what I'm saying? Because we want to know, God, what are you saying? And what he did there, it had all kinds of multiple-fold meaning to it. He exhorted people to be the gate as he was being a gate. That's how this works. Do, how do you think God is going to intercede and move into the planet? Through his gates. And the call today is for the gates to lift up their heads. Lift up our headship because we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And our mission is to be that of an intercessor, to stand between the living and the dead. As Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, said, he said, it is to have making a difference, snatching those from the flames. We are here to bring people into connection with their role of an intercessor and to connect people to heaven and be willing when we hear the voice of the media, we hear the voice of entertainment, we hear the voice of even the pulpit, sad to say. We hear the voice in our own head saying God doesn't want to move. God is moving in wrath. God is judging. Okay, but what is that an invitation for? Oh God, these are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. If you 
don't save us, we cannot be saved. Oh, God, move in accordance with your compassion and your mercy and your goodness and your kindness. Move, God, and honor your Son, Jesus. For him not to move, he will always honor his son. And that is our role as intercessors. Let's get our heads out of our belly buttons. You thought I was going to say something else. And let's get that blasted, self-obsessed introspection out of our lives because it's doing nothing but being an enemy to our role as an intercessor. Yes, ma'am. That's what it is. It's all that's that's it's it's that deep and that shallow at the same time, isn't it? It's that easy and that hard at the same time. Moses was imaging God, not from ordinate ordinance, but from earth.